contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. It's presented by Bet Online. You know, football season is now back. If you're looking for a place to make your online wagers, you got to head nowhere else but betonline.ag. They take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. All you have to do is use promo code PODCAST1, all caps, number one, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, number one. You receive a 50% sign-up bonus today. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Now on to the Business of Sports podcast with a special guest. His name is Mark Leibovich from the New York Times and New York Times Magazine. He has written an explosive book called Big Game. It's about the NFL and its owners. It is some really interesting stuff about the commissioner, Robert Kraft, Robert McNair, Jerry Jones, Jerry Richardson, Dan Snyder, and so many others really taking you inside the ropes where no one goes. This is a political writer, Mark Leibovich, who's transferred over to sports for four years to produce Big Game. And here he is with me on the Business of Sports podcast. Mark, welcome. Andrew, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> You're a political writer, is that right? And you ventured into the world of sports over the last few years? Yeah, I, th- I thought I was going to get a break from politics. It turns out, <laughs> it turns out that the NFL was not um, offering a break from politics, both both in terms of league politics, which are um, which are pretty thick and pretty backbiting, but but also um, you know Donald Trump politics. I mean, he I was uh, I guess I sort of jumped into this right as he was um, just you know just becoming like topic a in in the 2015 2016 you know election time frame and he um you know the time i spent with him in 15 he wouldn't shut up about football i mean he wouldn't shut up about deflate gate that was his big hobby horse because he was um always dropping tom brady's name as like someone who who was a great friend of his and robert Kraft's name so yeah no and and as as this journey into the league for a few years uh, progressed, it, it just, the world's, my, my two worlds just sort of kept colliding. And you do sort of realize that um, both the the NFL and, and also just my world, Washington, are, are just big swamps. And um, it, it's it's nice to step outside them after a while, but you also have to realize that they are swamps. And it's all, a lot of people are, are sort of part of the same game, whether they're elected officials or owners or commissioners or, or players or journalists. Um, it, there was a lot of similarities between the, 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 the worlds I was operating in. Yeah. And you sound um, legitimately surprised that you found that about the NFL after covering politics for so long and the backbiting and the PR spins and the game playing right. uh, that you maybe didn't expect to see in the NFL. And, and why didn't you expect it? And how how synergistic is is it with politics? I yeah. mean, is it really the same thing? I, I think a lot of it is the same thing. I mean, I guess why was I surprised? I mean, I, I think mostly just because it's just not my world. I mean, I've I have come to football as as right. a fan, um, someone who you know, really just loved the game, and, and I have over the years. Um, resisted ever becoming a sports writer because I always I always assumed that if I ever got closer to these things I would stop loving the game and I sort of gravitated to to politics over the years so um, I, I guess I probably shouldn't have been surprised I mean I was a business reporter back in in the 90s and the early aughts and I covered um, 
technology and in Silicon Valley when they were going through sort of their boom bust cycle. And uh, yeah, politics are obviously thick in, in every you know big complicated workplace, but football was, was something, I mean, it's a very unique structure, obviously it's, it's a trade organization and you have a CEO, Roger Goodell, mm-hmm. who um, can both discipline, but also be fired by, by the board, which is right. 32 people that you would not necessarily pick to be on the, you know, your, your elite corporate board. Board if you were running Apple or um, you know Federal Express or Amazon or, or a Fortune 500 company like that. So no, I mean I, I guess I was surprised only in that it was just it's a new world to me, and I think it's important to sort of you know you can see worlds differently when you have a fresh set of eyes that that might be um, you know harder for people who are living in that world every day. So. Um, Right. I, I guess you know part of it also is like it'll be a lot of the off-field stories and, and off-field stories have really dominated the reality show of the NFL the last few years, whether it's the Flake right. Gate or Ray Rice or, or the Anthem stuff. I mean, um, it was a very very big part of the league. Yeah, and interesting. I, I'd like to start with Goodell because I've covered him over the years, and I noticed a real sea change when I was in the league between. Mm-hmm. Paul Tagliabue is a lawyer who kind of let discipline wend its way through the legal system before even weighing in. And even when he weighed in, right. it wasn't harsh penalties. And then, of course, Roger right. Goodell, which seems to have this innate feeling about role modeling and players yeah. acting a certain way and, and the way he's operated on the conduct side. You yeah. know, I think what you just said is something people don't realize from the outside. We have this image, I did even coming into it, that yeah. the commissioners for the good of the game. And players and owners and this sort of idea, this generic go to the game. But you really paint a picture that the commissioner is hired, fired, reports to, serves these owners. And you, you sort of take it, us inside that, uh, you know, he beseeches their approval. And uh, it's really a, a unique CEO relationship yeah. that... Is really yeah, I mean, that is really beyond anything big else. Skill. Yeah. I mean, he is a great politician, you know, inside the very, very small world that he has to operate in. I mean, he literally has a sheet of paper in his office, I think on his desk, with yeah. the 32 owners with a listing of when he last spoke to him. And, you know, if he'll look down and see that, you know, three, four weeks has passed before he's been on the phone with, uh, you know, Martha Firestone Ford, the matriarch who, you know, mm-hmm. runs the, or runs, who, who owns the Detroit Lions or whoever, I mean, he will get on the phone and make sure that, that she is taken care of and make sure that uh, whatever little concern she has um, is taken care of. And, and by just working essentially and making your, making your job about accruing goodwill from a lot of very, very needy, very, very wealthy, um, you know, usually, you know, quite old <laughs> you know, usually men, and he has a real knack for it. Um, that, I think, can be very, very uh, restrictive to innovation and, and really thinking in terms of the broader picture rather than just, you know, the enrichment of 32 owners, you know, thinking in terms of the players, thinking in terms of fans, thinking, and, and you know, and Roger would say that, yeah, I'm in charge of all those things, but no, I mean, he, he works for the owners, and at the end of the day, that's pretty clear. Um so, um, yeah, no, I mean, and owner politics is fascinating. Um, but, you know, I also in the book tried to go into, obviously, Goodell himself. Uh, there are some players who are characters. And, and obviously, you know, it's a big festival. I mean, 
I, you know, there's a big thing on the draft. There's a big thing on Super Bowls and so forth. So, I mean, Washington or Washington, it's an interesting slip there. Football is is just such a carnival. I mean, it's a great spectacle of American life, and it's it's really interesting to try to examine an empire at a time when it feels pretty precarious, uh, whether you know whether that's for real or not. But it, it certainly feels different around the league now than it did, you know, even five six years ago when I first started sort of poking around. Yeah, and staying with Goodell before we move to some of the other owners, he does have yeah. this kind of need to satisfy on a business side and maybe even a personal side some of these owners mm-hmm. and, and saying you wrote a quote uh, from a letter he wrote to Arthur Blank, owner of the Falcons, mm-hmm. I will tirelessly work to make you proud of me. Uh, right. Like you said, he goes down his list to talk to each of these guys. And you yeah. sit down with him. I mean, he has appeared... Uh, publicly to be guarded, to be corporate, to be unrevealing. Uh, was that what you found? You do mention him talking about his work. Yeah, habits, I talked Pilates. to him. I had two pretty extensive um, conversations with him on, on the record. Um, he he is, yeah. I mean, he, he was not a great interview. He is not an expansive interview. But uh, that's not the full Roger. I mean, anyone who has dealt with him privately and that, you know, I, I talked, I mean, he, you know, he went off the record um, and I obviously can't reveal what he said, but the guy can suddenly just press a button and suddenly he's playing ball and he's, um, I, I wouldn't say he's, you know, bearing his soul <laughs> at all, but he's, he talks kind of like a wise guy. I mean, this is someone who came up through the league, someone who dealt with reporters for many, many years, mm-hmm. know how the game is played. And, and what, what's striking about sort of watching him now compared to even a few years ago is he, when he first took over, he had a you know a fair amount of like PR successes. I mean, a, a lot of people when he came into the league were were really hungry for for kind of a new sheriff in town model back in the late um, the late aughts, and you know he was you know was pretty pretty. Um, aggressively going after people like Pac-Man Jones and, and Chris Henry. Right. I mean, and, and uh, Michael Vick. I mean, there were, there were some pretty high profile discipline cases around then. Right. Um, and he was, he was getting a lot of credit for it. And then he, there was a CBA, which he got a lot of credit certainly around the league for, for winning um, in 2010, uh, a right. great broadcast deal around that time. So the league, you know, the league grew, you know, exponentially during that time. So he was really sitting pretty. I mean, he was on the cover of time magazine, and I think as recently as 2011, 2012, that just said, um, the, you know, I think the, something like the new sheriff in town or, or something right. like that. And there was a quote from, I'm trying to think of, it might have been Jim Ayersay or someone like that saying, you know, this man could be president. And then starting with, you know, maybe even Bounty Gate, which, which became a mess. And then Paul Tagliabue, um, you know, kind of annulled his his ruling and and really right. repudiated him in some way. It all just sort of started going downhill, and you had this series of really self inflicted dramas that, um, you know, it, it certainly they were riveting in many ways, and and they were again, like I said, very good for the reality show, but not necessarily good for Roger. And and over the years, I mean, he has just he has accrued you know a a large number of fans who really despise him, and I think there is, I mean, I think. 
you know, part of this is just public relations, but it is a real problem for the league. And a lot of owners told me this, that this guy comes out and, and for hours is just booed at the draft every year. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a weird look. You know, one that it happens as vociferously as it does, but, but also that he allows it to happen. I mean, it's just a strange, almost Vince McMahon kind of masochistic kind of vibe. Um, but anyway, no, Roger is, he's complicated. He's got a tough job. No one would deny that, but he's also, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he, he has shown some real limitations over the last few years. Yeah, but I guess my question is, I often alternate between thinking Roger, and I've seen sort of sides of him that don't show publicly as well, Yeah, as this kind of heat-seeking missile that takes the bullets so the owners don't have to. Absolutely. And that is part of his job description, and that's what he does, and he's the face of the league and getting all the, getting all the, the, the barbs because yep. owners are too local and he's national. But on the other hand, yeah. you paint a picture that they don't, they want him to be a little different than just kind of a, a pincushion. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unclear what they want. I mean, Bob McNair was very outspoken. He said, you know, we'd like him to be like less um, straight jacketed at the podium. We would like him to be mm-hmm. kind of a human being, human. not a direct right. quote, but something to that effect. And they all would, they will all say that, like, I don't know, they, they would see, they see some of his public presentations. They see some of the things he says. Um, and they they will say that he kind of looks scared. He looks like he's playing not to lose. He he will look like he and you know and then you lose. I mean it's sort of the prevent defense, right? It, it's it, it's something that they have all remarked upon. But yeah, I mean they would would they rather Roger be talking about you know health and safety issues rather than you know Jim Irsay or or, or Bob McNair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yes, I mean owners have their own politics to worry about in their own markets and. Um, you know, when you couple that with, with owner politics, but no, I mean, I, Rod, Arthur Blank said, yeah, he takes a lot of arrows for all of us. And that's mm-hmm. part of what we pay him for. And you know, he, he's a shield for the shield, he would say, but, but I would <laughs> say that he's mostly just a shield for the owners. And maybe the most high profile discipline of an owner who is said to be before and even after, and you can answer that a close friend of Goodell, Roger Kraft, or I'm sorry, Robert Kraft, Robert Kraft right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the deflate gate and sort of two years of back and forth disciplining that high profile mm-hmm. friend owner and maybe right. the most high profile player in the league. You know, yeah. I, I think if you talk to some people, they say, well, it's this sort of payback for yep. Spygate or favoring that team right. or showing other owners, look, no favorites here. I'm coming right. after you know, my quote unquote senior commissioner. So did you get a sense of that in talking about that sort of high profile, high public debacle over two years? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I am, you know, I have a, I wouldn't say it's a bias because I'm, I, I wouldn't. I, the, the book has not exactly been well received in uh, Foxborough very well, from what I can tell, at least in the in the corner offices. But I grew up up there. I, you know, I root for the team. I still root for the team. And um, you know, Brady and Kraft are, are pretty prominent characters in the book, and I spent time with both of them. And um, yeah, I, I um, R- Robert is an extremely extremely needy owner. He's very powerful. He's very, you know, he's very image conscious. And he's also has a tough job. I mean, it's not easy to keep a dynasty together for nearly two decades, you know, when you when you are operating in the market they are and in the league they are. And I mean he I think all the credit that the organization gets and, you know, for their winning is, is all 
justified. But I do think that now Robert is a, is a real politician, and he's not a particularly good politician. He he wants the love of both his fan base, but but also his fellow owners, um, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame voters, Roger. I mean, it's even in the in the in the height of Deflategate um, when. People were just out for blood up there, and were just felt like you know Brady was just being screwed over so much that he Robert still just wanted to be seen as the assistant commissioner. Now, I mean, were there other politics involved in Deflategate? You know, dating back to Spygate or whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are. I mean, there were a lot of owners who were lobbying Goodell to come down really, really hard on them, and, and there were a lot of coaches, I'm sure, who were lobbying the league office just because you know Bill Belichick has has stirred a lot of certainly jealousy, but, but also just resentment over, you know, any number of things and suspicion over the years. So I think that was probably part of it. But the fact is, um, I mean, it, it was, as Bob McNair, you know, the Texans said, um, it's the ultimate uh, mountain out of a molehill. I mean, this is, you could make a case and I would, that this is a minor equipment violation that Paul Tagliabue in his day, I mean, he had this expression called all things, what, what is it? It's like all, th- all's well that ends period. And meaning if you can just like get rid of something um, or just, you know, look, if something is not a big deal, just, um, you know, just like just deal with it and move on. Now you could also argue that that was pretty good for the league because it dominated off season coverage. It was a very popular decision because most people around the league hate the Patriots and, and a lot of the owners, you know, were happy that Roger did it. So, um, you know, maybe it wasn't terrible for him and terrible for the league, but it was just a bizarre set of politics that that really I thought was an eye opener. Yeah, and and you said good for the league. It's amazing that uh, I think ratings and popularity sort of skyrocketed after that. And yeah, I appreciate you uh, using my my language yes. from one of my columns about there is an like Andrew Brandt deflate in there, marketing yeah. strategy. Go ahead. Yes, no, no. He, he Andrew, you know, correctly coined this as the Deflategate marketing strategy. Now, whether it was <laughs> intentional or not, who knows? But um, I remember talking right around that time. I mean, talking to Jerry Jones, and and he say said, um, you know, I was worried that this was going to be a drag on the league. I mean, here we are dragging into this silly issue is going into its second season, or third season, or whatever. But that that led newscast last night. That was on CNN. That was live <laughs> on CNN. It's like it shot it up. So. You know, look, it's there are a lot of ways to sort of put on a carnival, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm answering this question all the time, Mark, about yeah. concussions and the anthem and, and the, the backbiting yep. and all the things you talk about. Are we yep. seeing a decline? And I don't see it. I mean, maybe you I don't ha- see it. Yeah. It's just amazing how the NFL thrives through all of this. The numbers are staggering. And the, the, the the CBA is very team friendly. The deals are continuing to rise on the media side. Uh, franchise values are skyrocketing. I don't know. If, you know, these owners are seem to have some insecurities, but it's all going north, right? It, it, it is. I, you know, you could argue that if, there are indicators that would suggest you know concern might be appropriate as far as you know drops in TV ratings, um, and you, know, you could argue that cord cutting probably is as big a concern as anything you mentioned, um, at least from a TV st- side. Right. Um, you know, I, I guess drop in youth participation rates, um, things like that. But no, you're right. I mean, it, it, after a really difficult year last year that was marked by, you know, a lot of intra-owner fighting and, and, you know, Donald Trump and, you know, concussions continuing to be a, a big issue. 
Um, you, know, you have the Carolina Panthers selling for $2.2 billion. You have Fox paying however many billions of dollars they paid for the Thursday night games. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, all it takes is, is one sucker, right? And, and what I think Roger is mindful of, I don't know if he knows what to do about it, but what he is mindful of is, is that things can turn in a hurry. Right. Um, and there are, you know, empires or dynasties over the years that have turned in a hurry. And, you know, the NFL is in a great position because, you know, as I said, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, basically it operates like a drug, a drug lord, um, in a country of football junkies. Right. I mean, right. Look, I love right. football. <laughs> I mean, I should know better. I, I, you know, I have a social conscience. I like to think, I mean, I see all the, all the problems with it, or some of the disparities and the unfairness of it. But you know what? I'm I'm just not going to make a huge political decision and and just decide not to watch Monday Night Football to you know if if the game's good, right? Um, so um, I, I do think, and one you know, I guess one of the takeaways from the book is that I think the game will survive just because of the greatness of the game. But I also think it will 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 survive in spite of the, a lot of the people who who own and, and run the game. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, I tried. To, I was general manager of the Barcelona Dragons in Europe, and mm-hmm. we tried to sell American football over there. It was just no luck because it seemed like, right. you know, they're mainlined soccer at age four, and that's yeah. that's what they got. No, and it's true. It seems like we're Absolutely. mainlined NFL football at a very young age, and it is a drug. Right. It is something where we are conflicted about concussions and all of this stuff. But we watch. Right. We watch. We watch. We watch. We I mean, look, watch. There, we could yeah. stop. <laughs> I mean, the, these things can happen quickly. I mean, w- one of the things that you learn as a political reporter when you are operating in a bubble, as Washington and, and politics in America are, is that you make big mistakes. I mean, me and my colleagues in 2008 would have said, you know, America's not ready for to elect an African-American president. There's no way. Um, and Barack Obama gets elected, and then you know, eight years later, we're we're all saying, you know, there's no way Donald Trump will get right. elected president. And 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 you know, from a, sticking to politics for a second, I mean, the people who have been suspicious of football predominantly, and this is obviously a generalization, but but the left has traditionally been more suspicious of football for its violence, for its you know, over-the-top mm-hmm. patriotism, um, for the sort of um, you know, the, the racial disparities between owners and players and so forth. Um, one of the things Trump has done is he has turned a good portion of the right against the game. I mean, he has made football kind of a model of permissive um, sort of the softness of America, um, the politically correct sort of uh, coastal elite culture that he ran against. Um, you know, he, he has, he's, I mean, the people who were booing the players for protesting during the anthem last year, I mean, there's a fairly um, big Venn diagram between them and, and people who listen to Donald Trump. And, and that, you know, who knows if that's going to be a long lasting thing. I think we're sort of talking on the two year anniversary of Colin Kaepernick sitting or kneeling or whatever he started doing. Yep. And then from there, it's yep. spun out of control. And as you note, it has been dying down mm. periodically, but our tweeter in chief <laughs> keeps yeah. it alive. Exactly. And, and he flares uh, it up. And he take will us again. inside. Yeah, take us inside the owners. I mean, you you detailed Terry Pagula in a meeting talking about this. Oh man, do you think they yeah. do you think they were cowed or are cowed by the president, or they're talking about let's just ignore it, let's not let's not be reactive to it? 
Yeah, no, they they don't have a clue. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, there there's certainly disagreement, but um, you know, Ken Belson, my my colleague and I, we we mm-hmm. we got a tape of of a meeting last year, last October, a sort of a secret meeting between a bunch of owners and a bunch of players, right at the height of that anthem thing. I right. guess it might have been September, late September, um, and just to hear. A bunch of the owners in that meeting talk. I mean, Pagula being one, uh, Stephen Ross being one, Kraft being one. Um, you heard, um, you know, even people who were pretty vocal and you know in not liking Trump, like Jeff Lurie. Um, they, they just, they, they were living in fear of, you know, how do we not provoke this guy? How do we not um, let this flare up again? And 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 the fact of the matter is. Andrew, I mean, I think last year sort of proved that no matter how much damage Donald Trump can do to a game in the short term, I mean, the game and its fans do want to revert to football. I mean, once, you know, Trump sort of went away for a few days and then Pence did his little thing in Indianapolis and that right. reverted yeah, after a couple of days, the, the season basically went back to normal. I mean, the president lost interest. He went on to his other, whatever the next thing was. And, and by the end of the year, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I remember like watching this incredibly great ending at the, in Minnesota in the playoffs of Vikings mm-hmm. from the last play of the game or whenever it was, just beating the Saints in the first round, and just like just talking to all these people who were presumably done with football for whatever reason during the year because (laughs) players were kneeling or because they were making players kneel or whatever. Um, Yeah, they were all jumping up and down with the rest of everyone. And it was a great Super Bowl. And and so, yeah, and, 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 you know, Goodell, and I I spent a fair amount of time talking to him and and also talking to a lot of owners during that period last, you know, after last year's Super Bowl. He, He got a fairly number a lot of people thought he handled that situation as well as he could by bringing owners and players together but also not doing anything kind of ham-handed like just sort of putting down a rule and listening to jerry jones or dan snyder bob mcnair some of the more um conservative owners who were really pushing for something you know to happen Um, a lot of players i thought gave him some credit but then for whatever reason in may um they just reversed it and they just did this locker where you know you can stay in the locker room if you want thing which they knew was going to be a disaster from the start it's unclear why they did it they reversed it and now they you know they they just don't have a clue i mean i've rambled on a little bit here but it's just um it, it is amazing the degree to which donald trump even if he is not in their club and he is desperate to be in their club over four decades uh he now lives in their heads yeah, and I know one owner that you detail that has been detailed by Don Venata and others is Jerry Jones, who's yeah. talked to Trump through all this, yep. and seemed seemed to be very proud that he had. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and of course he kneeled and joined hands that that fateful week right after Trump bashed the players. Right. He took a different stance throughout. You, you you can take us into. I know you spent a lot of time with him and. He drank you in into oblivion. Yeah, he drank but, me uh, under the bus, under the bus. Yeah, it was not my. You were on I mean, the not party my proudest bus, hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Dallas Cowboys bus is not for the faint of heart or liver. <laughs> is that, that just way. him, or are there others involved? Uh, you know, when I was there, it was just him and me. And uh, Rich Dalrymple was there babysitting. He's the longtime head of um, VP of public relations for the Cowboys. Um, but he, you know, <laughs> he's been in those situations many, many times. So he, I mean, there, there's a, um, 
I think I have an excerpt from the book in the Times Magazine this week. I think it runs when this airs. But uh, yeah, at one point I, I asked Jerry because um, he had just gotten his Hall of Fame nomination. Um, I said, Jerry, would you trade your gold jacket for one of Robert Kraft's Super Bowl rings? And because the two of them have a, a real kind of shadow rivalry going for kind of first among equal status in the membership. <laughs> and he, Jerry uh, just sort of, and this is after a few large tumblers of, of Johnny Walker blue scotch. And uh, J- Jerry doesn't drink out of glasses. He drinks out of tumblers, even when he drinks <laughs> okay. milk, which is very rare. It's from a tumbler. Um, but he said, and, and look, when, when someone asks an owner that there is a very simple answer, I want the ring. You know, my right. fans have to know that there is nothing more important for this organization than winning a Super Bowl. I mean, it's it's obvious. And he, he just said, I, I, I can't answer that. I, I don't know. I don't know. And uh, I'll tell you what, I will hmm. write. If you were to say, I can write you a check for half a billion dollars and you give me a Super Bowl ring, you can walk out of here with a check for half a billion dollars. And I said, well, with all due respect, Mr. Jones, I'm not in a position to do that. Um, <laughs> but he said, and finally, he said, I'll take the gold jacket. And huh. Rich uh, Dalrymple said, "Ah, you you messed that one up. Can you can, you know, we were actually at a golf course, or we were the bus was parked in the parking lot of a golf course. So Rich said, well, we're at a golf course. Can you give him a mulligan on that? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, and, and granted, we'd both been drinking, but the tape recorder was working really, really well. Um, the <laughs> tape recorder had not been drinking. And um, yeah, apparently, uh, so yeah, Jerry made the very surprising. Um, admission uh, that he would take the gold jacket over the rings. Now, the book just came out, and I just saw that the Dallas uh, Morning News just had a big thing on this, and I think Jerry was asked about it, and and so maybe that's going to blow up in Dallas this week. But, um, yeah, no, I don't know. Jerry Jones is is, – he's – he's – how do you you describe him? He's definitely one of a kind. He's interesting. He – um, is combative. He's, you know, he's been called the Donald Trump of the league for better or for worse. And I think, you know, his act can get very, very thin among some of the other owners, but he's look, I mean, I guess as a reporter, I, I'm kind of biased towards anyone who's interesting and, and anyone who kind of lets themselves be, be seen. And, um, he certainly was, was fun to hang around with. Yeah. And I'm covering meetings for ESPN and sports illustrated. I've seen him, yeah. move the room uh yes he's, he's dynamic with bravado and obviously persuasive and he yeah. has that ability and not many of those guys do no question i mean he is an absolute original and um i you know i would probably say he's good for the league i mean i yeah. think most people would say that quickly on a couple others you saw dan snyder the owner of the redskins who uh I just say that name, and I, it evokes a lot of <laughs> enmity from people that he hasn't changed the name. It is amazing. Quick, yeah. quick Both thought around on that, the and then you did mention you wanted to do call him Mr. I mean, it's, like, it's a rare point of bipartisanship among Democrats and Republicans in Washington was um, great dislike of Daniel Snyder. Hmm. So, no, I mean, he, I want, been, he uh, wanted you, you to know, call him Mr. Is that what? Say again? He wanted you to refer to him as Mr. Was that? Well, actually, no. I mean, to his credit, I mean, I'd heard for years that he is one of these guys. Because, you know, one of the things you learn at the league when you go to work for the league or just when you work for a club, apparently, I don't know, it's different when you work in Green Bay. You can speak to that. But is, um, you know, you you must always refer to the owner as Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so in the rare cases where it's a female. Um, 
And uh, yeah, you, you certainly you know, you, that that's a big, big deal at the league. And and um, Snyder apparently, I'd heard that really um, does care about this. He wants to be Mr. Snyder. He has told people that he wants to be Mr. Snyder. And you know, I always thought that that was a a real kind of um, window into him. And so, in the brief interview I had with him in, in Houston during one of the owners' meetings, um, I I said, "What should I call you?" And I basically wanted him to tell me that I should call him Mr. Snyder, so I could again write that and and illustrate it. But he, to my surprise, said, um, "You know, said you can call me Dan." So bullet dodged in that case, but yeah, no, Dan Snyder is, um, he's a complicated fellow. Let's say charitably. <laughs> Any hope for the change of name there from what you could surmise? You know, one thing I, I have found is there's certainly an appetite for it at the league. I mean, I think if they could snap their fingers, meaning, you know, Park Avenue and, and I think most of the owners, um, just cause it's a question they get and it's, it's just an unnecessary hassle. Um, they would say, yeah, let's just do something because, you know, it, it's just, it's an issue. It offends, you know, maybe not a majority of people or Native Americans, you know, it depends what poll you believe in. Um, but yeah, it's an issue and, and a lot of colleges have done it. Let's just do it. Um, and there have been, there's been conversations about, you know, helping them build a stadium downtown, but as sort of one part of the deal would be, you know, changing the name. But Snyder's not going to do it. I mean, this is just not something he mm-hmm. is interested in. And, and the thing about the NFL is, is it's an oligarchy, and the person who owns the team owns everything. I mean, it's not like it's a, you know, and again, unless unless you're um, working for the Green Bay Packers, I mean, it's, right. it's not there's not a bunch of shareholders who can vote on this. One thing I'll say about the Packers is every team has a paranoia about. Mm-hmm. The league office favoring teams besides them, and right. uh, yeah. our paranoia was that we didn't have an owner, so you we didn't were kind of patted on yeah, the back. Mark Murphy go back told to me the little town in Green Bay. Uh, yeah, but it, I, it, I think you true. probably yeah. saw other teams that are known to be favorites of Goodell even think that as well. Well, I can tell you that. Well, cer- certainly. Um, well, the Raiders for years thought that they were, you know, the league had it in for them. The Patriots now do. The Cowboys now do. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, every you're, you're right. I mean, they all, everyone has their, their tidy little victimization complex, right? Um, right. But I have to say, I mean, I wasn't really conscious in the 60s, but it would have been nice to, I mean, one of the good things about when the Packers were winning Super Bowls is you didn't have a, like an owner to come up immediately and accept the trophy and make it all about them. So there is this weird tick in the league that like um, owners just they have to get a fair amount of face time like in their boxes during the game. I mean, it doesn't happen with baseball owners or right. I guess other than Mark Cuban, you know, in basketball. I don't know. It's just it's a weird tick. It's like um, we must. It's something very Roman about it. Like okay, we, <laughs> we must watch the people who own the horse races or something. It does happen in the broadcast when you think yeah. about it more than in other sports, oh, where it's just kind of so the, the look to the box. Oh, and then the so owner much. usually knows or is told, hey, you're on TV. <laughs> right. And then right. there's and that look almost, back. Right. You know? But And it's almost like, it's certainly in like the case of the craft, like the, there's always a shot of Robert and Jonathan Kraft sitting in their box with, um, you know, in their high chairs, you know, in their, in their you know, pocket squares, or at least Robert has his pocket squares. I don't know if Jonathan does. And, and it's almost as if it's on, in the contract of the broadcasters to talk about the incredible stewardship that Robert Kraft has brought to the league and the incredible success of the New England Patriots and the great philanthropic work he has done around New England. It's like, I mean, is this like, is this written into their contract? I mean, <laughs> yeah, Robert's 
chair of the broadcast committee? Is this like, do, do they, I mean, if they get a certain deal, like, is that sort of part of it? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an odd thing, but you sort of have to endure it every single time. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, it, owners. It, it is a very, as you can tell, I mean, it's a very owner driven sport. Final moments here with Mark Levovich of the uh, New York Times talking about his book, Big Game, taking us inside the NFL and its owners. The, the snaring, if that's the right word, of Jerry Richardson, um, who has sold the Carolina Panthers in some disrepute after some embarrassing conduct details came out about him uh, racially and sexually and the way he acted. Yep. The Me Too. Uh, you sort of suggest this could be a slippery slope. Maybe other owners have something in their background like this. Where do you see that going as now Richardson's been removed from the league? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that the league is concerned about. Um, I mean, I think a, a good number of these owners have secrets. I don't, you know, I don't know if they're actionable Me Too level secrets. But but look, I mean, the fact is when you have aggressive and very, very wealthy um you know, men of a certain age um, who are used to a certain amount of deference, you, you know, you can have some very outdated behavior that is um, that is just, that, that, you know, because you have a big checkbook, you can just pay people off and buy their silence. I mean, we've seen that, you know, in, mm-hmm. in case after case in corporate America. Um, you know, one thing I don't really, I don't, I don't move the ball on this in the book. I mean, I don't, I don't like drop any bombs on anything, but there are certainly things I'd heard. Um, there was no shortage of, um, you didn't hear this from me, but, you know, coming Mm. from all over the league about other teams, other owners that, you know, maybe you should call the, you know, fill in the blank police, um, police department and see if they have any reports on Mm. so-and-so. I mean, this is again. I mean, this sounds speculative, um, and and again, I'm not. I don't. Um, I'm not going to name names, but you you do hear that a lot, and I think it's entirely possible, if not likely, or that 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 you know Jerry Richardson, if not the tip of the iceberg, certainly you know might be the first among more than one um, to have a story like this happen. And, and look, they're serious stories. I mean, it's roiled you know a lot of different realms, and and it's. Not surprising that there would be people around football that would, um, you know, be be involved in this, and and I'm sure there will be more. Yeah, it sort of struck me back when uh, Don Sterling was removed from the NBA, and Mark mm-hmm. Cuban, I think he's yeah. backtracked a little bit, but talked about, hey guys, well, slippery slope here. Yeah, you know, if someone comes out with recordings or what someone said the N word or whatever it was, they could lose yep. their franchise. Now it hasn't happened. Right. I think you paint the picture that we may see more in the NFL too. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you know, Donald Sterling, I mean, by by all accounts, like not a did not seem like a good guy. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, just like he, I think everyone was just thrilled to get him out of the league, both you know, at all levels of, of the NBA and of society. And so, yeah, I don't think that that the end result was was bad at all. But I mean, like, look, I mean, I, I just don't think there are a lot of people who's if their private conversations came to light during you know particularly bad men- moments. Um, you know, they they would come off looking good, and it could create a really, really big problem for them. So, it is a slippery slope, um, and yeah, I, I think we'll be seeing more. There will be more stories like this, especially now in an age where everyone has a phone and recording devices are anywhere. So, be careful, everyone. <laughs>
Yeah, and my last question is you mentioned Rich Dararimpo with the asking for the mulligan on Jerry Jones, but there seems to be a bit of a pattern where you talk to yeah. owners and you get the PR uh, post note saying, yeah. uh, can we get an amnesty on that? Or is that something you found in politics? How rare was that? And, and did you even consider yeah. any of those? It, it certainly happens in politics. No, and, and look, there is... I mean, journalism, especially when you're profiling people, I mean, it's 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 an art. It's not a science. It's right. there are relationships. I mean, you, you do, you know, as a reporter, I mean, you try to be a decent human being and a reasonable human being. I mean, there was a um, I mean, there were there are moments where if I mean, you know, here's an example. I mean, I, I was writing about Brady for for our magazine and I was talking to Robert um, and you know, we were, it was sort of the beginning of the interview and I had a, I had my tape recorder running, but you know, we were sort of talking, we were, it was, a, there was a lot of, it, we were not talking about Brady. We were not really down to business yet. And he was talking about how much he loved New York and he loved the New York times and, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, you know, and I, you know, I'm from, I grew up close to him around Boston. He said, you know, Boston's great, but Boston is a village compared to New York. And Stacey James, who's the VP of Public Relations for the Patriots, was sitting there. You know, he knew my 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 tape recorder was running, and he stepped in and said, "Can we take that off the record?" Like, and this is after the fact. And Robert said, "Well, I, I thought we were off the record." And I said, "Well, you know, I assume we weren't because my tape recorder's here." But look, because I'm talking about Brady and this mag this magazine piece about Brady, and I see why this would be. A sensitive subject in, in your fan base, you know, given the, the sort of New England inferiority complex to, to New York, um, might take offense to that. I can see where it'd be a problem. So because I'm writing about Brady, I'll, I just won't include that in the magazine. So, you know, then like I was a bit of a dick and, and in the book I said, I did use that. And I said, I, well, I didn't tell them I wasn't going to use it in a book one day. So, you know, maybe, maybe that was, um, maybe, mm. look, I, I thought it was very revealing. So I wound up using it in the book, but no, I mean, NFL owners clearly, and even NFL coaches and the NFL players are, are used to a level of deference that, I'm not ready to give them. And I, I do have the luxury of not being a beat reporter. I don't have to go in and, you know, get news of, of the quarterback's hamstring pull tomorrow. So I, I do have the luxury of sort of swooping in and out a little bit. Um, but I also think that I, I don't, you know, my, my goal here is not to be invited to the next commissioner's Super Bowl party. My goal here is not to, um, you know, be getting Christmas cards from Robert Kraft or, or Jerry Jones. Um, so, uh you know, it is there is maybe more of a clubbishness in within each team and, and also within the league that that it was helpful not to be a part of. So is this one and done for you with the NFL? Are you back to your political beat and uh, off the NFL? I am indeed. I am back to my <laughs> okay. day job. Um, I, I'm, you know, it's all politics all the time. As soon as I take a few weeks to. to Promote the book, um, which seems to be, you know, people are people seem to be reading it, and it's sort of making some noise. So that that's all good. But no, I mean, I, I have um, missed politics. Well, I haven't missed politics. It's actually been kind of nice to take a break from my day job. But when you're in Washington, I mean, it's 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 like being in the middle of the circus without covering the animals. So um, <laughs> here I am, and and yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a political reporter again soon. And um, yeah, I, I I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I might miss football. I might miss these people. And, and we'll see where the next one is. But I fully intend to uh, to watch the games as always, and um, you know, hope hope the Patriots win another Super Bowl. So I, that'll <laughs> make me unpopular instantly. 
Yeah. Well, we the do leave the league and crosses it's, to it's, bear. There's no question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very revealing, very honest. Uh, look inside the NFL, its ownership, its politics. And politics seems to be a word that permeates throughout this. Uh, Mark Leibovich, thanks so much for being on this and taking us inside your book. It's out now. It's called The Big Game. And really appreciate it. How can people continue to follow you? And where's the best places to see your work? Well, um, you know, I, I, you can Google me. I'm on the New York Times. I actually have an excerpt in the Times Magazine from the book out today. But you shouldn't read that. You should go into Amazon or wherever <laughs> your favorite bookseller is and, and buy the book because it's um, look, it's it's fun. I mean, I, it's it's you can you know you can buy it everywhere. But you can just you know, Twitter I guess is at Mark Leibovich, and uh, you know, I'm here. You can find me. So I appreciate you having me on, Andrew. Thanks for coming on. And, and again, thanks for the, the plug in the book about my Deflategate marketing strategy. Oh, no, that, that's that. got to catch on because it was a marketing strategy and it worked perfectly. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. It's a very exciting time in the gambling betting world. And it's a pleasure to announce that Bet Online is the exclusive partner for Podcast One Sports Net. These are our go-to guys. We trust for all things betting, lines, odds, wagers, inside info, you name it, betonline.ag. Football season is here now. It is right around the corner. Coming soon, you've got to find a place to make your online wagers. We know the place. It's betonline.ag. They take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Use promo code PODCAST1, all caps, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1, to receive a 50% sign-up bonus today. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Hope you enjoyed that fascinating interview with Michael Leibovich of the New York Times, venturing into sports from politics, which are actually very similar over the last four years. Big game out this week. What a fascinating read, fascinating interview with Michael Leibovich. Hope you enjoy all my Business of Sports podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Listen to the podcast at Stitcher. Tune in, RossTucker.com, Apple Podcasts. Give us a good rating if you would, wherever you hear your favorite podcasts. And I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.